from Alabama. Traffic was heavy on I-20, but all that they spent is lost, it's gone. But all you gave last Sunday was laid up as treasure in heaven. All you gave today is treasure in heaven, so long as we uh, stay in right relationship with the great banker, with, with the Lord. And that's a, that's a reassurance, isn't it? I also, and I, I didn't mean to talk about this, but it's on the minds of a number of us, I guess. Just this morning, I was looking on my internet, and I saw what had happened to the huge fortunes that had been won by people through the, through the years and lotteries, two and three and four hundred thousand dollars, five hundred thousand dollars, and one after another has just absolutely squandered it and wound up some on food stamps, some bankrupt, just let the money just, just go. Uh, we think, and people yesterday on the news were saying, what I would do if I won this, this money? Well, what you would do with a uh, million dollars is about the same thing you'd do with a hundred dollars. Uh, you would use it selfishly, or you would break it up and use it for good purposes and good causes. Uh, those are things I think that we think about as Christians. But I want to say another thing about too about the congregation here. It's such a, a delight to be with you. I've been very interested in this group since you joined together to undertake a work in this part of the city, and I just rejoice to see the progress you're making. You've come a long way since I was with you last. Glad you're here in this facility. I think it's excellent. Uh, and you have a, a good number here. Uh, this would have been a good number when we went to New York in 2003. Uh, of course, we were in a karate school and they had a little mirror over there. It made it look like twice as many people, but uh, we were realistic enough to realize that uh, this was the number we had. And now they are running 60 and 70 and 80 and sometime 100 in attendance. Of course, they have a lot of visitors in New York and a lot of visitors in Atlanta who have more options than they have in New York. But uh, you are growing to grow. I'm confident of that. And uh, I just look forward, as long as the Lord lets me live, to seeing a group just growing and prospering and being fruitful in this part of this great city. May God bless you all. John, the apostle, wrote, of course, one of the four gospels, as we call them, and he alone of the four Gospels expresses his cause or his purpose for writing it. In the 20th chapter, verse 30, Jesus, he says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the sight of his apostles. And yet these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through his name. He wrote the book of John so that people would read it and believe. And one of the ways that he proceeded to do that, of course, was by just listing witness after witness after witness of individuals who saw Jesus and heard Jesus and came to believe in him to the point that they actually gave their lives for him. John begins in the text that was read just a few moments ago by giving his own testimony of what he knew Jesus to be. But then within this same first chapter, we have the testimony of John the Baptist 
and that the testimony of, I believe, five of John's disciples who left and began to follow Jesus because of what they saw in him. And so he gives numerous reasons for believing in Jesus and tells why many people did believe in Jesus. But interestingly enough, at the same time, he speaks about those who did not believe in Jesus and gives the reasons that they did not believe. He, he was amazed at the fact that they did not believe. That's even found in this text that was read just a moment ago. Look at verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. When he came into the world, even as his creator, they did not recognize him. And then in verse 11, he says, he came to his own, that is his own place, and those who were his own people did not receive him. Now, why, did, and then I want to mention again that in the 12th chapter of the same book, he, he speaks again of, of his amazement that they did not believe in Jesus. Begin verse 37, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he had blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn again, so that I should heal them. He is amazed that with all of the evidence, people were still unbelieving. And I want to talk to you just a few moments this morning about why people did not believe in Jesus. And most of this actually will come from the book of John also. In the first chapter, in what was read a while ago, it was mentioned that Jesus was light. And the light was the, his life was the light of men. And he came into the world to lighten every man. But if you look with me, and we're going to go through John, and I want you to look with me, if you will, at the third chapter. And in the third chapter, we're going to see, in beginning in verse 19, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing an evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Jesus actually exposed the sin of many people in his time. He exposed it by the contrast between his purity and theirs. But in addition, he spoke out, really, against some who were considered actually models of, of purity and religion, pointing out that they were hypocrites, that they were liars, that they were seeking their own glory rather than the glory of God. And this did not set very well with people who were in darkness. They didn't want the light. You know what happens if you go into an old barn somewhere and turn on a light, suddenly all the rats run. And when Jesus turned on the light in the world, those who love darkness just disappeared. They well, they didn't disappear. They, they tried to shut out the light. They tried to put out the light, of course, eventually by putting him to death. So first, he was rejected because men loved darkness, and he was light. Now turn with me to the sixth 
chapter of John. And here we have that wonderful story uh, about Jesus feeding the, the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Uh, in fact, all four of the Gospels tell of this, and that's one of the interesting facts that I believe it's the only miracle that is recorded by all four of the Gospels. It was an important thing. It's kind of the peak of Jesus' popularity. Uh, and when he had fed this great multitude, it is said in verse 15 that they were wanted to take him and make him a king. When Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself. Well, the crowd dispersed, and they started looking for Jesus the next day. When he came to the other side, they there were just huge crowds seeking Jesus. But, but Jesus knew why. If you look later in the 6th chapter to verse 26, G Jesus said to these, these people, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, and signs suggest a miracle that had a message. You weren't really interested in the message, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And then he says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because the God the Father has set the seal on him. Now, that means wrong to, for us to work for our food, but he said, Don't make that the primary concern of your life, to work for food. Rather, be hungry and thirsty. Well, as he said in the Sermon on the Mount, be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He says here, seek the food that the Son of Man will give you, this food that endures to eternal life. Well, they said, what is this? What is the Well, he continued by telling them what it was. In verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And then in verse 40, he says, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then in verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Well, how did that go over? They were looking for loaves and fish, but Jesus said, I'm giving you spiritual bread. I'm giving you my, my life in which you can partake and become like me and be built up and strengthened internally, spiritually, by my teaching and by the relationship with me. He says, the words that I speak, their spirit and their life. Well, verse 60 says, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand this? And from this time, verse 66, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They left him. Why? Well, Jesus was compassionate, of course, but his great concern was not to feed the body. It was to feed the soul, the eternal part of man, that internal man, inner man, that needs spiritual food more than physical food even is needed by, by the physical body. And so they wanted physical food, and that's really about all they were concerned with. But Jesus was giving them spiritual food and they were bored with that. They didn't like that. They walked no more with him. But again, we, as we look uh, farther, we come to the 8th chapter. 
Now, one of the reasons they were going to make Jesus king was the vision they had of a king who could feed a whole army with five loaves and two fish and who had the power to accomplish such a thing and, and what he could do in leading them to overthrow the Romans. The Romans were their conquerors. The Romans really had enslaved them to a great degree. And what they wanted most of all was to be freed from Roman domination. Well, in the eighth chapter of this book, uh, Jesus begins in verse 30 by saying, uh, and really verse 30 says that after he had been speaking, many believed on him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Ah, oh, that's what they wanted. But they wanted political freedom. And Jesus, they said, uh, they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, have never been in bondage to anyone. That was wishful thinking, wasn't it? How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Freedom from sin wasn't what they were concerned about. They wanted freedom from oppression by the Roman government. Well, there are a couple of more that I want us to look at for a moment. Turn to John 18 and verse 36. Jesus here makes a statement to, John, to Pilate concerning his kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. They were looking for an earthly kingdom. Those prophecies of the Old Testament were taken to refer to an earthly kingdom. And they looked forward when a king would sit on the throne in Jerusalem and the Jews would be his special cabinet and, 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 and his special people. And the conquerors... The, uh, the whole rest of the world be conquered by the Jews and even it was said sometime based on one prophecy that the, the pagans would come and lick the du dust from the feet of the Jewish people that was figured if it wasn't intended to be of course literal uh, but they took, it, they took it literally and they were just expecting a great victory to be gained militarily that would sit the Messiah on the throne in Jerusalem and they're going to rule the world. But Jesus' kingdom was not that kind. Even his apostles dreamed of that. They wanted to sit one on his right hand, one on his left, when he came in his kingdom. And even after his resurrection, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said, you'll, you'll understand eventually. His kingdom is not of this world. The king is in heaven. And we're his citizens here on earth. And it's not a military thing at all. It's, it's a spiritual thing. But one thing more, and we're going to turn back to Matthew for this one. Turn back to the 15th chapter of the book of Matthew. And in Matthew 15, and verse, beginning with verse 1, the scribes and the Pharisees who were in Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. They were very, very concerned with their traditions that had been formed over the years. 
based not on what the law said, but on their interpretation of the law and their applications of the law. Well, Jesus answered, Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, and he did not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the commandments of men. Jesus spoke the words of God. They preferred their traditions. And they rejected Jesus in part because he did not keep their traditions. He kept the law of God perfectly, but he didn't keep their traditions. And those traditions were more important to them even than the law of God. So five reasons Jesus was rejected. First, because he was light and men loved darkness. Second, because Jesus came to feed the soul, they were more concerned with feed for the body. Third, Jesus, they, they were more concerned for freedom from political oppression. Jesus came to bring freedom from sin. Fourth, they were more concerned with a worldly kingdom. Jesus came to bring a spiritual kingdom. And finally, they were more concerned with the traditions of men, whereas Jesus came to provide them with a clear understanding of the will of God. In Christ, the will of God was manifested. So, Jesus was forbidden, or was rejected, uh, by the people to whom he came. What would happen if he came today? Oh, he would be greatly honored, we feel. He would be highly respected if he came today, because we've learned he is the Son of God. I just got to thinking some time ago about what would happen if Jesus came to the United States uh, maybe he'd speak in the National Cathedral or maybe Yankee Stadium or some huge place. And, and if people were convinced that Jesus was really going to come and speak, it needed need like Yankee Stadium or something bigger than that to try to keep the crowd. Sometimes stadiums are filled to hear human speakers. But if Jesus came, just imagine the crowd. And, and can you imagine a news conference that might take place after Jesus finished, and some reporters are gathered around, and they ask him some questions. One of the reporters says, in your speech, and we might just imagine he would give the Sermon on the Mount, which people think is such a great message, and it is, it's the, it's the peak, but uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in your speech you said that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Are you aware of the emphasis on sex appeal and violence in our modern entertainment and advertising? How would Jesus answer? From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a man. That light turned on darkness. How do you think the response would be? 
But a reporter says, you spoke of divorce. What's your view of no-fault divorce? Jesus answers, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Another reporter says, well, same-sex marriage is increasingly acceptable in our country, and, and there's no, some debate about what really constitutes marriage. What would Jesus say? Have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh? Another report says, sir, apparently you take a literal view of that creation story. Do you also believe such stories as Jonah and the whale and, and, and Noah and the big flood? How did Jesus answer? For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so was the Son of Man three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, another reporter says, We've heard you appointed 12 apostles. What were their names? Was there a woman among them? Jesus answers, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. Report says, sir, this is a very diverse society. Wouldn't you consider all religions valid? How would Jesus answer? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So the reporter says, sir, followers of some of the world's great religions do not accept you as the Son of God. What would you say to them? If you do not believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Reporter says, what do you advise your followers to do about people of other religions? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. The reporter said, are you suggesting that baptism is essential to make one a disciple? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. One more question. <laughs> reporter says, it's been 2,000 years since you were on earth, and times have changed more than you probably realize. Those things you're saying just don't fit our times. Surely you don't expect your followers to live by such outdated concepts. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What do you think the newspapers would say the next morning? And can you just imagine many religious leaders trying to kind of distance themselves from Jesus? 
They've spoken about how they love him and how they admire him and how they even worship him. But would they stand by these statements of Jesus? They don't. They don't generally. Well, this question then. If Jesus was rejected in his day, what is going to happen to those who follow Jesus in our day? If his teaching is that unpopular and that strange to modern ears. Well, he predicted some things. In John 15, 18, he said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And again in John 17, 14, in his prayer to God, I have given them, my disciples, I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. If we follow Jesus, we're just not going to fit the world any better than Jesus did in his time or any better than he would fit it now. We're just not going to fit in. And you know very well from our time that if you don't fit in with the world, the world hates you. And the world's going to accuse you of hating them simply because you're not like them. What's the world going to think about a church, for example, that speaks out against the darkness, the sins of our world, and really exercises discipline and will not allow fellowship with those who are openly and intentionally disobedient to Jesus Christ. What's the church going to think about it? I had an experience here in Atlanta some time ago. I was studying, had studied through one of the Gospels, and we had a group of ladies coming from a community, and we were having a fine class. And um, we got into Acts, and I thought I'd lose them at Acts 2.38, but they stayed with me. And we kept on going through till we got to Acts 5. And when Ananias and Sapphira died because they had told a lie. I said, what does this teach us? Well, they couldn't think of anything. I said, doesn't it teach us that God doesn't intend for the church to harbor liars? Well, they hadn't thought of that. I said, I believe that's what it teaches us. Now, it doesn't teach us to kill them, of course, but it just says that a, a, a liar, an intentional liar, has no place in the fellowship of God's people. And then so I took him to 1 Corinthians 5, where he says, withdraw from those who are adulterers or fornicators, and he lists embezzlers and a lot of other things, drunkards. I said, what does that mean? Well, he said, that's, ju that's being judgmental. I said, well, that's what he says. You have to judge those that are within right there in that very text. Oh, this is the next week we had almost nobody. That was the end of the class. The idea that you rebuke darkness and that you can't have fellowship with intention. Now, certainly all of us sin. We understand that. But a person who just confirmed in sin and won't repent, we're to be, actually Ephesians 5.11 says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Well, what's, what's going to, what is the world going to think of a church that as far as the world is concerned, is more concerned with preaching the gospel 
than it is with sports and education and so on. I have I've had people many times call me when the church when I'm in the office at Ember Hills and and say, "Do you have a school?" I say, "No, we don't have a secular school. We teach Bible classes on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Love to have. Well, what about a ball team? We don't have a ball team. Uh, what about a, a, a fellowship? We don't have one of those. Well, well, what what kind of church is this? Well, it's a church." whose concern is first and foremost the gospel and saving souls from sin. What's your political stance? We don't have any political stance. Our, this kingdom is not of this world. We're not concerned with, with these things so much as we are with freedom from sin. This is, this is what we're working for. And, and People say, well, what, what does your church believe of it? And I said, what my church believes doesn't make a better difference. The question is, what does the king say? What do the people prefer? What the people prefer? This is not a democracy. This is a monarchy. This is a kingdom. And, and we're here to follow the king. Well, we, this is, we, we're democrat, or democratically uh, inclined. Yeah? Sure we are in our nation. And I'm glad we are politically but religiously, it's a kingdom. And what the citizens feel or believe or teach doesn't make any difference. It's what the king says that really, really matters. And when people begin to ask us about some of the things that are practiced in the religious world, and they come, you don't have a piano. Everybody else has a piano. Why don't you? Well, it's not in the, in the scripture. It's not in the New Testament for the church. Well, but other people, thus traditional, I know that traditional religion, but we're concerned with the commands of God. Or what kind of Christmas uh, celebration do you have? Well, we don't have one. We, we believe in the birth of Christ, and we talk about it and sing about it all through the year. But we don't have a traditional Christmas. Well, why not? Everybody else, that may be true. That's traditional, but it's not scriptural. What's the church? Well, what people are going to think of? They're going to think it. They, they may not persecute us. They may not give us major uh, opposition. But by all means, by all means, they will think we're a strange, strange kind of church. Just like many thought Jesus, the church where Jesus, or that Jesus was a strange, strange kind of teacher. And then he went away from them. I remember when I lived in New York, a lady moved into the apartment house where we lived, and uh, it was pretty obvious that she was a pretty worldly kind of person. And she asked me, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a preacher. Oh, where do you preach? I said, well, I preach for a church here that meets in a, in a basement of a building somewhat like this. She said, well, I might come out and see if I like it. I thought to myself, you're not going to like it. <laughs> you're not going to like it. I, I welcomed her. I said, we'd love to have you, but you're not going to like it because it's not created to be liked by worldly people. If she, And I may have misjudged her, and the Bible teaches me not to do that. But, but worldly people are not going to be impressed. Spiritual people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness may not agree with everything we do or but they're going to appreciate the fact that we're trying to do what Jesus says. 
and and that's and we may miss it sometimes. Don't there's no room for pride that we've got it all together. We know everything. That's, there's no place for that. But there is a place for saying, what did Jesus teach? What does His Word say? Let me do that. Let us do that and that only. You've listened so well. I appreciate it, and I I just trust that these thoughts are helpful to you because we're not going to be appreciated in the world. We need not expect to be. But there's still people out there who are looking for those who are following the scriptures. They're looking for Jesus. I got up to preach in a place some time ago, and there was a little sign up there on the pulpit that said, Sir, we would seek Jesus. And there are people out there who want to see Jesus. And though he would be unpopular to the world, there are people who still believe in him and want to follow him. And we hope that we can, we can encourage them and, and, and let them know that that's what we're trying to do. We may do it imperfectly, and no question we are, but we're trying. We're working together. Let's, let's all try to be what Jesus wants us to be together. Have you decided to follow Jesus? That's what we're going to sing about. And if you have, then what Jesus says is, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We'd be eager to assist you in that. If you'd let your desire be known as we stand and sing. Number 640.